Welcome to the church in Nolansville, everybody. Take a moment and drop a comment in. Let us know where you're watching from and go ahead and like our Facebook page or if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. We want to make sure you get all of the information, but welcome from our home here on the stage to your home. And I have some friends here with us I want to introduce today. We've got the uh, Paul family. We've got Paxton, Felicia, Kyle, and Kennedy. We've got the Thompson Nation over here, Adam, Heather, Macy, and Maddox. Y'all all all say hello to everybody today. Yeah, well, we are so glad you're here. Welcome home. You are among friends. And if you're alone today, we just want you to know, man, you are not alone. There is a faith family here that wants to get to know you and can't wait to meet you in person when we finally gather again together. And we're, we're excited. And we're in a series right now called No ordinary sermon. And the reality is, Kyle, I'm very ordinary, but but Jesus is not. Jesus is extraordinary. And we're actually looking at his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And it's Jesus's sermon where he really, he flips everything upside down and he makes some radical statements. And we're just, we're going to look at his statements and we're going to look at his truths. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. And it's really, it's an important question. Maddox, it's a question that people have wrestled with for years. They've argued over it. They have written books and blogs. And I mean, YouTubers are out there streaming about it even right now. So I want you to answer and everybody here on the platform is going to answer. And so here's the question you got to answer today. And it's this. Are you ready? DC or Marvel? Which one? DC or Marvel? You guys up here, how many Marvels do we have? Marvels? Marvel? 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 DC? DC? All right. All right. That's, that's question number. We are... We are predominantly a Marvel group here. I don't know how you are in your house. But second question is, which superhero has the greatest superpower? Anybody up here? What do you got? Spider-Man. Incredible Hulk. We got two Spider-Mans and a Hulk. Anybody from D.C.? Superman. So, so we're, we're still split here, mostly Marvel. I'm a Marvel guy. No offense, Paxton. I'm a Marvel guy. And it's, Superman's got a cape. He, well, he doesn't need a cape. All right, look, you're, you're distracted. We can't, we can't get into that right now. We'll talk about this afterwards. But we all know that their powers aren't real. Maddox, you know that, right? Their powers aren't real. But Jesus is going to remind us, he's going to tell us that, hey, there is a power that is real. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is available to live within us. And Jesus says, if you you follow me, I, I can transform your heart. I can transform your mind. I can give you a new life and a power in your life that can turn an enemy to a friend or a brother. You can have a power in your life that can thaw the frozen heart of a spouse. You can have power in your relationships, power in your life. But that power is impossible without Jesus. It's his supernatural life that he offers us. It's it's his super meeting our natural it's, it's amazing. And, and the supernatural life that he offers, he introduces in Matthew 5, verse 20. And it may not look like it at first glance, but look at what he says in verse 20. Jesus says this, For I tell you, 
Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What a question. How in the world do you have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? They memorized almost everything in the Bible, every jot, every tittle. They were completely obedient with their hands, but they had very disobedient hearts. It's kind of like a beautiful house on the outside. And a lot of people, when they're selling their house, they put a lot of attention into the curb appeal because they want you to come in and look. And the house may look great on the outside, but when you go inside, some of them are a disaster. See, see what he says, if you're going to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you have to have something more than just curb appeal. you got to have something more than just an outward obedience, that it begins from the inside. A righteousness that Jesus offers you in salvation. When we surrender our life to him, when we say yes to him as Lord and Savior, he transforms us. We receive his righteousness, and then the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we have a new power. And then we begin to experience the kingdom of God in our hearts. And then what Jesus is going to say next through really the rest of chapter 5, which we're going to look at today, he's going to lay down the gauntlet of what life looks like when we follow him. It is radical obedience that Jesus calls us to. But I want you to know this right off the bat. Before we look at all of this, I want you to know and hear this statement. So everybody up here, if you're taking notes, write this down. When we we look at the rest of chapter 5, you've got to know this. Number one, it's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit. Because Jesus is all about the heart. He, He wants your heart to follow him. He wants to transform and renew your heart. You'll never be perfect because he is the only perfect one, but it's, it's about our pursuit of him. The Pharisees had outward obedience but dark hearts, and Jesus doesn't want that for us. And so we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 5 and see some of the radical life that Jesus calls us to. And so, Jesus, you're, you're the master teacher. You're Lord, you're Savior. You are our rabbi. And just as you taught the disciples and those who were gathered on the mountain 2,000 years ago, would you teach us today in Jesus' name? And everybody said? Amen. So we're going to do kind of a flyover of the rest of chapter 5, and you, you can follow along, but I'm going to read some of the major statements that he says because he gives several different blocks of teaching regarding murder and adultery and divorce and loving your enemies and going the second mile. And we're going to dive into those. And I'm going to begin with verses 21 and 22 out of chapter 5. And Jesus says this, You've heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Look at verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with his or her heart. Look at verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Look at verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is radical, radical teachings. And for, oft, for many, it seems, like, it seems like a list of demands. Hey, hey, Paxton, don't even murder. Don't do that. But also, don't even think about murdering. Because if you think about it, you've already done it. Hey, and don't, don't commit adultery. But even, but even further than that, don't even look lustfully. Because if you've done that, you've already committed murder. And, and quite often, I remember the first time I read this, I was like, Jesus, like, you can't be serious with this, right? This is impossible. And you're right. It's absolutely impossible to the natural man. That's why we have to have his super meeting our natural. And even in that, even with his power, remember, it's not about perfection. It's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit. Jesus is after your heart. I mean, just because you and I can post an amazing Instagram photo doesn't mean that we don't have brokenness and things hiding inside. And if you remember what we learned last week when Jesus said, go and be salt and light. Being salt and light isn't some sort of list in our life that we have to manage. It's a life that we get to live, transformed from the inside out. And now Jesus, he's taking us on a journey of what a transformed life really looks like. And it's impossible except for the indwelling power of God himself. And so let's just, let's just dig into this for a little bit and see what Jesus is saying. And similar to the Beatitudes, man, there is a full sermon in every one of those things that I read. And so today we're just going to go for about four hours. And so just go ahead and go grab lunch. You're already hanging out in your living room. And so, man, we'll just have kind of a program. No, I'm kidding. What we're going to do, y'all were like, man, I didn't sign up for that. No, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to cover one big idea today. We've already been talking about it. And then every day at our hashtag can at home on Facebook and Instagram, I'm going to take a deeper dive into each of these. There's a lot of meat left on the bone here. But the big idea that I want you to see through all of Jesus' teaching in this period of the Sermon on the Mount is this. And we've already said it a couple times. It's, it's not about your what? Perfection. It's about your what? Pursuit. Say it again. It's not about your... It's about your There's only one perfect one, and it's Jesus. So you're never going to be perfect, but it is about your pursuit of him, your heart being transformed, your desires, your mind, your life being conformed into his image. And that's, that's how it flows out here. And Jesus, what I love in these verses, he establishes authority that's greater than anyone and everyone. If you didn't know, um, Kennedy, this is pretty cool. The earliest rabbis, the, the young ones, they would come in and they would teach a group and they would say, this is what has been said. They would just quote things. A more middle-aged rabbi would say, hey, you've heard it said, and he would quote some of the rabbis before him, but only the highest rabbis, only the rabbi of the ultimate authority could say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Look at what Jesus said over and over again. He said, hey, you've heard it said, but, but I say to you. So right off the bat, you need to know that Jesus is claiming the ultimate 
authority. And he's not revoking the law here. What he's doing is he's giving a more clear picture of actually what it looks like to do more than just obey with your hands. He's showing what it looks like to obey with your hearts. He's saying, don't just check all the boxes in life like the Pharisees did, but then have a cold heart. Obey me. I, I, I know Felicia and Paxton, you're raising great hit kids here, but you want them to do more than just obey you in your presence. You want them to obey you even when you're not looking because they love you and because they trust you. It's, it's the same thing with God. It's not just checking lists. It's about our heart. And so let's look through each of these things that Jesus says. In, in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, when he talks about murder, you, you need to know murder, man. It's a heart issue. And one of the things that you'll know uh, a Christ follower is how they handle their anger. And so a, a lot of us work, many of you work, and we get frustrated at work or we get frustrated at school. It's not okay to be frustrated and mad and then come home and go, you know what? I didn't kill anybody. I limited my road rage. I didn't even flip out on our Zoom meeting today when Bill, sorry, Bill, if you're watching, I just picked that name randomly, but Bill still, after five weeks, couldn't now figure out how to unmute his mic and unmute his camera, and I'm still trying to get Bill on a Zoom call. Like, it's a matter of the heart, as much as as it is an action of the hands. And here's what you need to know. Anger is, it's your responsibility. No one can make you feel anything. And I know that may seem shocking to you, but no one can make you feel anything because anger is your own emotion. And anger is a reaction to a perceived threat. My identity, my security has been threatened. It feels in jeopardy. But listen, if I know that my identity is in Jesus and I know that my security comes from God alone, then no one can ever threaten me. No one can ever take that away from me. I know who he says that I am, and no one else gets a vote. So anger, listen, church, that's on me. That's on you. That's part of our daily obedience. And part of being salt and light is when people come at me and they think that they should provoke me to a certain action, and then I don't, and I don't respond like they think I should have because Jesus is shaping my identity, that's a powerful testimony to a world that says, hey, where does that sort of reaction come from? Because it's not my natural reaction, it's a supernatural reaction because God is transforming our heart. And and, and so Jesus, when he talks about murder, he takes it back deeper into the heart. Where does your heart belong in this issue? Same thing in verse 27 and 28 when he talks about adultery. Because I think adultery is an issue of the heart. It's a look that leads to a physical act. And similar to murder, Jesus isn't just concerned with the outward act. He's concerned about the heart. And when you look lustfully, and guys may struggle with this more, but guys, when you do that, ladies do it too, but guys, when you do that, here's what's happening. You're reducing the person you're looking to, to an object. What you're saying is, you're saying, hey, hey, that person's existence is really just here to satisfy my needs. And then what you've done in that moment, the reason why Jesus takes it to the heart, is is if you've, you've taken someone made in the image of God and reduced them to an object that's there to serve your needs. And Jesus says, you you can't do that. It's more than an outward 
act because people who are made in the image of God are not an object. And ladies, I just, I just want to give a word to you ladies. Listen, you, you need to find, Macy, single, right? I'm not going to ask you that. All right. <laughs> Macy, you need to make sure you find a man who will love you. Ladies, you've got to find a man who is going to love you for your soul more than they're going to love you for your body. It, it, it's a heart issue. It's a life issue. Jesus is after the heart. And the same thing here, he goes into divorce. One of the ideas in divorce is, hey, that person no longer meets my needs. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's so much more at stake in your marriage, this whether or not your needs are getting met. There's more to it than that. There's more to just making sure you feel feel fulfilled. And listen, in the the first century, men, they, they could divorce a woman like that. All they had to do was make sure she had a certificate of divorce. And then when they did that, there wasn't social security, there wasn't a safety net, and then a woman was really left to, to beg on her own. And God says, hey, hey, that, that person is made in the image of God, and she is called to bring honor and glory to God. You can't just treat her like that because she doesn't meet your needs anymore. And it was accepted throughout Judaism that a man was actually entitled to divorce her wife. Now, a a woman, she was not permitted to divorce her husband. She could petition it in court and challenge maybe the basis on which he was divorcing her, but she couldn't bring a divorce. Only the man could. And there was two schools of thought. There was the Shammai and the Hillel. And the Shammai, they would say, hey, in a case of adultery, that's it. But the Hillel, get this, they would even go so far to permit divorce if a woman ruined a man's dinner. How would you ladies like that if, if, if Paxton came home and was like, I don't like dinner? They, they even went so far to say, as, you know, if you found someone that was, that was more attractive, you, you could even do that. And it's crazy because, again, it's a heart issue. You no longer meet my needs. And because you don't meet my needs, I'm going to dispose of you, and I'm just going to reduce you to an object. For those of you who are married, and 93% of you watching this are going to be married one day, marriage isn't about your happiness. It's about your holiness, being conformed into the image of God and demonstrating something sacred and special to the world of what it's like to love and be loved like Christ so that others would see something of our relationship with God through our marriage. And then what he said earlier, then give praise to God our Father. It's all about the heart. And then the last one we'll look at here, revenge, 38 through 44. It's an issue of the heart where Jesus says things like, eye for an eye, and love your enemies. I don't know about you, but, but Adam, for me, like revenge, it comes easily. I am easily provoked, and, and, and I just, I am not perfect in this way. It's a heart issue I have to grow in. And we have a very natural tendency to retaliate when we feel like we've been wronged. And listen, you you need to know, Jesus, he's not saying you should never right wrongs. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that you should just let evil triumph through your communities. He's not saying that. What he is saying is he said, don't assert your own rights. Don't feel like you have to have your own back and don't put your rights before others because he is your defender 
And even when you're wrong, you need to be thinking, how does this advance the gospel? How does this further the kingdom? Because even a victim of some form of evil has to think, what does God want in this situation for his kingdom? And a lot of times our anger and our reactions are based on our emotions. And emotions are a good gauge of how you're feeling, but they're not a good control. They're a good gauge, but they're not a good steering wheel. And so we lean into our emotions and we seek revenge, but they're a good gauge, but they're not a good control. And listen, when we live this way, all of the things that Jesus is talking about here, all of these heart issues, we're being absolutely counter-cultural. And our lead pastor, Mike Glenn, says this all the time. He says, the world isn't mad that we're different. The world gets mad because we're not different enough. Because we say one thing and then do the other. But Jesus has already said, you are salt and light. You're life givers. You're kingdom expanders. And this isn't a list of expectations that you have to manage. It's a life that we're privileged to live. And it's, it's not, I'll say it again, it's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit. And, and, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up this way. I want to share with you a story. may have shared it once a year or two ago, but I, but I heard it. I think, I think it's a great way to, to describe this. And I think, I think the only thing funnier on planet Earth than kids when they're growing up is their parents. Because, you know, every, every parent in the world, every one of them thinks their kid is the best. Every one of them. I, I bet if I asked Adam and Heather, are your kids the smartest kids in the world, you would say, yeah, I mean, my parents said, they look at little Wade, he's walking. Look at little Wade, he's talking. Everybody's like, yeah, he's 17. He should, be, he should be doing that. And the same little miracle happens in every home in America. And, and you, have a, uh, you have a little baby. Kyle, at one point, you were a little baby, and you would just lie there. You would just lie there, and at some point, you would go, boop, and you would flip from your stomach to your back, and you would roll over, and everybody, oh my goodness, and then not only would you roll over, then you would get up on your hands and knees, and listen, once you guys were mobile, it was a game changer, wasn't it? Absolute game changer, and then once they were able to roll over and crawl, then they would begin to crawl, and once they were crawling, they would come over, and they would climb up on the counter, they would climb up on furniture, and then once they would climb up, you know what they would do? They bounce, because they always bounce. I don't know why kids bounce, but they would bounce, and then after they bounce, then you know what they would do? They would let go. And they would let go. This crazy thing would happen. And it's not a cognitive decision of the will, but really a biological happening that only a genius God could create. Because the kid, when he lets go of the coffee table, has this huge gargantuan head and a tiny little body. And when he sticks his head out, he's got one of two choices. Put a foot out or die. And then once he puts his foot out, momentum takes over and they go step, 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 fall. And then what do the parents do? Yeah, they celebrate and they freak out. It's incredible. Everyone explodes. They've got Instagram stories being posted. They're calling grandmas. They're even making TikTok videos of the little baby here. But then what they do, it's crazy. They, you take that kid up and then you set him up and you go try again. But this time, maybe Facebook Live or something else. Because it's incredible. The kid is beginning to walk. But, but it's never been my experience. And y'all correct me if I'm wrong because you parented and raised kids. It's never been my experience that a parent watched their kids walk and fall and looked at them after they were learning to walk and watched them fall and said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I've never seen a father say, you've been walking for three days now. Why can't you get it right? I can do it. Your mom can do it. Good night. The dog can do it. 
I've never seen them respond that way. But, but it's been my experience time and time again that for some reason we think that if we're not perfect, that God looks at us that way. You, you're never going to be perfect. That was the point of the cross of Jesus Christ. That the perfect one came and gave his life for you and gave you a righteousness that is not your own. He died for you and you are forgiven. So it's about your pursuit of him. And he wants you to walk and learn and lean into following him. And so often we run from God instead of running to God because we don't understand his dramatic and, and, and life-giving love for us. And so we just keep trying to manage this list of rules and expectations to make sure we look right on the outside. But Jesus, he doesn't just want you to have good curb appeal. He's after your heart. And he wants to offer you his power and his grace and his mercy and his strength. And man, I've been chasing Jesus now for 23 years. 23 years. And sometimes I feel like my knees are so bloody from falling down in the race that I am amazed that God doesn't give up on me. But that's what makes the gospel so amazing. It's, it's not in my worth and it's his. And so that's why I keep chasing him. Zephaniah says he delights in me. He sings over me. And so with blood on my knees, he picks me up and he calls me his own and he reminds me that I'm his son and he sets me back down on the path and he says, go walk again. Because wait, it's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit of me. Keep running. And, and so as we look at these things that Jesus calls us to today, I don't know where you failed. And I don't know where your sins feel heavy. And I don't know where your heart feels grieved. But I know one who wants to offer you forgiveness and love and power and transformation. Because it's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit. And, and if you could be perfect, you don't need Jesus. And so I'm inviting you now to respond to Jesus because we're not perfect, either for the first time or as a follower of his to cry out to him and say, God, remind me that I belong to you. But I want to speak specifically, specifically to those of you who are watching that are not followers of Jesus. You're not a Christian and maybe you've never been to church, maybe a church hurt you one time or you just now found your way back into a church gathering online. We're so glad you're we're not offering you rules or religion. We're offering you a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it begins by saying, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And when you say that to God, you don't get his wrath. You get his love. You get his forgiveness. And we want to have that conversation with you. We want to talk to you. And so I would invite you today to text the word today, today to 623-623. And if you do that, our team is going to follow up with you. Our team is going to celebrate with you you. And so what would keep you right now from saying yes to Jesus and yes to the life that he wants to give you? Surrender your life to him. Text the word today to 623-623. You could pray something like this right now. Dear Jesus, 
I am a sinner in need of a savior. I surrender my life to you. I believe you are who you said you are. You left heaven, came to earth, was crucified, buried and rose again for me and I give my life to you. Do that, text us and we wanna celebrate with you. And for those of you who are a follower of Jesus with us, we're so glad we're on this journey together. What Jesus calls us to is extraordinary. Let's go be extraordinary salt and light in the world. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.